that. So I, I don't know if you have ever seen or remember the game show, Let's, Let's Make a Deal. Uh, there was an old version, an older version that was on, I think like for 30 years back in the, in the 60s, I'm not as... 70s. I'm not as familiar with that version. Uh, the, the host was Monty Hall. Uh, the newer version is, is Wayne Brady. I've seen that a couple times. Uh, but the, the basic gist, if you've never seen it, is there's, there's some curtains set up and there's some games that are played and people are dressed up funny. But uh, you get a chance to make a deal. You can sometimes pick what's behind the curtains. And, and sometimes what's behind the curtain is awesome. Like it's, it's cash or a vacation or a car or Sometimes behind the curtain, it's something that you don't want, like a, like a goat or, or something like, uh, like that. Um, and, and you really, you don't know. It's just a guessing game. You don't know what's, what's behind curtain one, two, or, or three. Um, in, the, in the New Testament letter that we're studying called Philippians, the author of the letter uh, is Paul, and he has several options in front of him. And, and he actually knows what the prize is behind each curtain. Uh, but he doesn't get to choose. So it's kind of the game backwards. Like he knows what's there. He doesn't get to choose. Uh, and we would consider his options at this point. We'll get into them. One option's good. One option is not so good. So he's in prison. He's writing this uh, letter to his friends, people that he loves, this church that he has, he has poured his heart out to. And um, they're in a city hundreds of miles away, and he wants to encourage them. They're concerned about him. They know he's in prison. And in the portion of the letter we looked at last week, he writes to them, and, and he says, you know, everything that's happened to me, it, the, the, the imprisonment has led to Jesus being known, being known in the prison, being known in Rome, because now the believers around me are... Uh, they're, they're being bold in, in their faith. And so he's encouraging with these words, and, and he rejoices that he, he sees God at work in the past and in the present. Like everything that's happened up to this moment, God is at work and he sees God's wisdom at work. And so we're going to pick up in the Philippians uh, 1, verse 18. Philippians 1, 18, uh, Paul says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So he's saying, I rejoice right now in this moment for everything that, that God's done, for it's brought me to this point, I rejoicing. And then, then he's gonna switch gears and he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. So he's saying, I've rejoiced for what's happened in the past, present, but now he's changing his focus to what's happening and gonna happen in the future. And he rejoices in that as well. And uh, now rejoice is not a, uh, a word that we use often. It doesn't mean to, to joyce again. Like it's not in our normal vocabulary. But rejoice has that idea of joy or like even joyful expression. Or saying, hooray! Almost like this, this subtle happiness. And so Paul is, is chained to his prison guard. And I can just imagine what they're saying as, and thinking as he rejoices. So he says, I will continue to rejoice. And verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he begins by reflecting on their prayers for him. He says, I, I know that through your prayers, I'm going to be delivered. And so Paul is alone, but he's not alone. 
Even though he's separated hundreds of miles through prayer, he is not alone. And we've seen this, this thread throughout Philippians chapter one, that, that there is a partnership between Paul and these other believers in the gospel, even though they are separated by hundreds of miles. And, and, and Paul says that their prayers have led him having a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and it's hard for us to, to get this in the English translation, but in, in Greek, the, the prayers are directly related to this provision of the Spirit, it says in the verse there, that Paul receives. Uh, you know, and sometimes Christians, we get hung up on, you know, being filled with the Spirit. Is that a one-time thing? Is that an ongoing thing? Is that a, what I can tell you is that Paul was filled with the Spirit, and here he receives uh, an added provision of the Spirit for what he was going through, through their prayers. Some of the, uh, the old, older saints among us call this a, a fresh anointing. I don't know if you ever grew up in a church where they talked about the anointing of, of, of the Spirit, like just a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And Paul, he, he receives that through their prayers. And I believe there's a lesson for us here, is that uh, we have been forced to be apart because of COVID. We can't be in, in the close proximity like we'd like to, but through our praying for one another, we can, can bring the Spirit of God into one another's lives. Like, think, think about that. Um, verse 20, we continue. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ." and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going on living in this body. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul isn't in prison. He's, he's waiting his trial and he's fully aware that his future, there are two options in front of him. Curtain one, curtain two. And, and he is being moved towards those curtains and, and he, he's in no control of which way he's about to go. It's a little bit like make a deal, except he has no choice. And very little, he has no, no choice. Death and life are before him. One good, one bad option. And, and these verses, they give us a mindset into Paul, like where, what he's thinking about, what he's going through. I mean, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. In, in prison, you don't know if you're going to be released. Like, what would, you, what would be going through your mind? Would you be rehearsing your life? Like, had you, had you made the most of every opportunity? Were there things that, uh, that you wanted to say that you didn't say? Things that were left unsaid? And so he, he goes back and forth, and it's almost like uh, he, he puts up the whiteboard and, and lists the pros and cons of each one. Like, what are the pros of living? Let's see, if I live, I can continue the fruitful ministry. I will help them progress in their faith. But if I die, if I die, I get Jesus, the goal of his faith, the goal of our faith. And what does he conclude? Which is better? So remember verse 19, he says, what has happened to me has turned out for my deliverance. Then he says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and we hear this term uh, deliverance, and we think that means, oh, 
set free, freedom. But the same word deliverance, almost everywhere else in the New Testament is translated as salvation. As salvation. In fact, the King James Version, uh, instead of deliverance, uses sal, salvation. Uh, and when we think of salvation, we think of something that has happened to us. Right, something in the past. Christ died, he was raised again. I, I put my, my trust in him and I go from being not saved to being saved. From walking in the darkness to walking in light to being not born again to born again. There's, there's this moment, there is something that happens when I can say, I was saved. Right? That, and that is uh, absolutely true. But there's also this idea of salvation, of something happening in the present something happening now, and something happening in the future. So we think of salvation, it's past tense. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present tense, I, have, I am being saved from the power of sin. In this moment, I am being saved. And a future tense, when I am saved from the presence of sin. And, and that presence of sin is not just an individual salvation. It is a salvation. It is God renewing the world. It is when Christ is exalted as king. Like it is that, that salvation. And so when Paul says that this is going to turn out for his salvation, I don't think he's, he, he's thinking of past tense salvation. I think he's more in the present tense, like what is God doing in my life now? Like this is going to work out for my deliverance. And through this, I'm going to be more like Christ. Because of the trials, because of the afflictions that I'm going through, I'm going to be more like Christ. And if I die, I will finally be perfected and I will be like Christ. I will be without sin and, and sin will be no more. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He says, but that Christ will be exalted in my body. And, and so he has this, he has the end game in mind, right? He, uh, life or death means salvation, for Paul. Now, this is, this is not an easy thing. Like, this is advanced Christianity. Like, I'd say it's, you know, Christianity 101, but this is like, uh, uh, like graduate level kind of stuff, because it's not easy to say, oh, yeah, whether I live or die, good stuff, bad stuff, Christ be exalted. Like, but that's what we are called to. That's what we are called to. So he's saying, either way, living or dying, I win. It's, it's a win-win proposition, but when we look at it, we're like living, being set free, or dying. That sounds like a good and bad, but for Paul, he's like, either way, I win. He is not defeated. Uh, it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if, if you've ever seen the uh, first Captain America movie, Steve Rogers. He, he becomes Captain America, but in the first movie, he's a scrawny little kid. He's undersized. He wants to go and fight in World War II, but he can't. He's got health issues, and, and there's this one scene. He's in this alley, and this guy who's twice his side is just pounding him, just going, going to town on him. And, and he gets up. His face is bloodied, and, and he lifts up in his fist, and he's like, I can do this all day. Like, I can do this all day. And what's the guy do? Pounds him in the face again, knocks, knocks him down. Uh, and it's like Paul in the prison just keeps getting up. He's like, I can, I can do this all day. I can do this all day. I mean, he is, he is triumphing. There is no despair in, in what I hear in, in these words from Paul. And it's like, how? Why? Why, Paul? How, and how can you do that? Um, and I think it was because once Christ had apprehended Paul, Christ became the singular pursuit of his life. Christ became the singular pursuit of his life. He says to live is Christ. He has Christ 
so he has life. And because of that, Paul's circumstances don't define him. Because he has Christ, the circumstances around him change, and they change often. But they do not define who he is. Christ is enough. And we see this in the opening chapter. If you just, in your Bible, underline every mention of Christ. 18 times Paul mentions Christ in that first chapter. Christ in verse 13, Christ be known. Christ be preached, verse 18. Christ be magnified in verse 20. So the question is, what, what is your life? What are you living for? What is it that makes your life worth living? For me to live is Christ. Because if you have a proper, addition, a proper definition of life, then there, there is nothing. There is nothing that can overwhelm you. There is nothing that can uh, destroy you. It's like, what is your bottom line? What is the most important thing to you? Um, so if you were to say, for me to live is, and you fill in the blank, what, what would it be? Uh, for some, they would say, for me to, to live is to have fun and enjoy life. Uh, and now, in this type of person, they, they might work hard. They might make a lot of money. They might not make money. But the job is just a means to an end. It's just a means to get to the weekend, like to get the fresh pow, uh, to get the next 14er. Um, like that, that is the goal. And if you take that away, like, you know, life is, it's, it's not the same. It's, it's all about recreation and pleasure. Uh, for others, maybe that's not you, but for others, maybe for, for you, say, for me to live is to be strong and in control. And, and maybe your life hasn't allowed you to, to seek some of the other pleasures of life. But in your family, the way you were raised, like for you, being, being together, having things put together, not letting your, your feathers get, get ruffled, like for you, and that's, that's where you find life. But don't, don't take that from you. For, for me to live is, is money. And to die is to, to leave everything behind or to live is, is family and to die is separation or to live is to be a good person and to die is to be exposed for not as good as you want others to think you are. Uh, it, and so, I mean, life is, is full of, of tragedies. It's full of sorrow and, and things that we have can be, be taken away from us. And we can even have things in our lives that are, are good things. Um, our, our family and, and, and working hard and enjoying God's creation. Like, I'm, I'm not saying we don't do that, but what is ultimate? What is life? Uh, this week I listened to a, an interview with Gordon McDonald. Gordon McDonald was a pastor, he was an author. He wrote a book uh, called Ordering Your Private World that sold over a million copies back in the 80s. He was the, the president of InterVarsity, he was the chairman of World Vision, and he was president of Dem Denver Seminary. And, and now he's 80 years old, and he's become a bit of a Christian sage, like just a wise man who has experienced life, who has followed Jesus. And in this interview, he is reflecting back on his decades of following Jesus and what for him have, have, has become like the most important things in his life. And he, he lists 15 things that for him have, have been trans, just kind of transformed the way he thinks. And one of the things he says, one of the 15 things that, that he wants um, other believers to know and to focus on, to be thinking about, he says the time will come when you will have to relinquish titles and privileges and slip into obscurity. Ultimately, the obscurity of death. 
And so what he's, what he's reflecting on is that he had titles, the, the presidents of a seminary and nonprofits. And, uh, and then he talked about how all of his mentors have passed away. Most of his friends have passed away. And it was just a reminder to me that nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. And that we all experience loss, whether, whether it's now during the pandemic or whether it's later in life, whether the loss is all concentrated in a short amount of time or whether it's spread out, we all experience loss. What is life to you? Paul, Paul has lost his career in prison. Like he was called by God to take the gospel to the nations. He's been traveling around the Mediterranean, around the, the Roman empire. And now we can't do that. He can't go where he wants to go. He, he is in prison. He has lost his job, but his, his life has not crumbled. If, if you have ever lost your career and your life crumbled, then that says that for me to live was my job or was my career. Now that you've taken that away, I have nothing. That wasn't Paul's story. Paul's, his, Paul's friends had been taken from him. He, he wants to be with his friends, but he can't be. They've been taken from me, but his life is not destroyed. His life is not over. I mean, what are you going to do when your life is lying in the casket? When, when it's been taken from you, when it is gone. So our, our problem is not our circumstances. It's our definition of life. What is life? For me to live is Christ. Christ, do you know him? The crucified and risen Savior, our soon coming king. Do you know him? Is he life for you? So for Paul, living or dying, he wins. If he's executed, he gets the goal of his faith. He gets to be with Christ. Verse 23 says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. This isn't a death wish. This isn't a dissatisfaction with life. This isn't like, I'm tired of these trials. This is someone whose immediate future is uncertain. I mean, does that sound familiar? His immediate future is uncertain. But his, his future circumstances his, is, is certain and it's to be desired. Like he, he knows, he's got the end game in mind. He knows what's waiting for him at the end. And so he says, to die is gain. But you can only say to die is gain if Christ is your life. If Christ isn't your life, then to die is loss. And, and death is... Death is a loss for those of us who do remain, for those of us who have lost loved ones. But if you are in Christ, to die is not a loss. To die is gain. And I just want to conclude with this, is that the reason that Christ can be our life is because Jesus was willing to give his life for us. Because he gave his life for us, Jesus was teaching one time and he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then he goes on uh, just a bit later, says the same thing. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so Jesus says, you are my life. You are my life. I give my life for you. So my, my question, my challenge for you today is, is Jesus your life? Is Jesus your life? Has, have you let other things become ultimate? Even, even for those of us who have followed Jesus for a while, there are times when 
if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, for me to live as Christ plus my family or, or plus my career or plus, and, and then if we're extra honest, the, the plus has become ultimate. So we just take a moment and just examine your heart. Would you, you, you may need to ask God's forgiveness. You may need to repent and just say, God, would you reorder the affections of my heart so that you are my life, so that you are my life.